4. The Separation of Agape and Eucharist The questions we must consider now are these. First, why was the Eucharist permanently separated from the Agape Feast? And second, why did the Church ban the holding of Agape Feasts in Church buildings, with the eventual result that they ceased altogether? J. A. Robinson gives the following four reasons for the separation of the Eucharist from the Agape Feast. A. The increase in numbers of Christians made holding the feast more difficult in itself and unsuitable as the context for the celebration of the Eucharist. B. Abuses such as those at Corinth in apostolic times were always likely where large numbers of people met together to feast. C. There was a great expansion of liturgical developments accompanying the Eucharist. And D. Celebration of the Eucharist was restricted to occasions when a bishop or his deputy could be there to officiate. Of these four reasons, the first two are logistical. Of these four reasons, the first two are logistical, and church discipline problems respectively that are not insurmountable and do not therefore per se constitute valid reasons for separating the Eucharist from the Agape Feast. The real reasons for the separation of the Eucharist from the Agape Feast are to be found in the last two clauses mentioned by Robinson, liturgical expansion and growth of clerical control over the church. And these two causes really amount to the same thing. The Agape, says Robinson, lost more and more of their semi-Eucharistic character. They became, in some places, occasions of unseemly riot or mere excuses for wealthy banqueting. And Clement of Alexandria, at the close of the second century, is already indignant that so lofty a name should be given to them and complains that charity has fallen from heaven into the soups. According to Neander, the reason for the abolition of the Agape feast was that these meals were especially calculated to excite the jealousy of the heathen and gave birth to the strangest and most malicious reports, a circumstance which may have early led to their abolition or less frequent observance. There were indeed malicious false reports about what Christians got up to at the Agape feasts, and these included accusations of sexual immorality, incest and cannibalism, but these rumours were easily refuted, and were not the reason for the Church's abandonment of the Agape feast. Robinson summarises the reasons for the abolition of the practice more realistically, The original institution underwent a twofold development, according as the liturgical or the social character of it came to predominate. In the one case, the supper itself disappeared, or was but symbolically represented by the consumption of small portions of bread and wine. The spiritual significance was emphasised and the Eucharist became the centre of the Church's worship. In the other case, the supper was everything, and the Eucharistic acts which accompanied it were little more than graces before and after meat. The spiritual significance had passed elsewhere, and, though under favourable conditions the agape still had value and lingered long, it had no principle of vitality left, and its place was filled in time by more appropriate methods of charitable assistance. In other words, on the one hand, the Eucharist became a sacrament, controlled by the clergy and attended by developing liturgical rituals, while the agape feast, on the other hand, became little more than a means of helping the poor that was superseded by more appropriate works of charity. The real reason for the separation of the Eucharist from the Agape feast, therefore, is intimately connected with the demise of the latter, and to be found in the fact that it was difficult to transform the Agape feast into a clergy-controlled and regulated ritual, whereas the Eucharist, separated from the Agape and accompanied by an expanding liturgy, was easily transformed into a rite that could be sacralized and subjected to clerical domination. The ritualization of the Church's cultic activities was essential if the clergy were to take control of Christ's Church. The separation of the Eucharist from the social meal, along with the sacralization of the former 
An abolition of the latter, as the permanent practice of the Church, however, goes against the institution established as the norm for the Church by the Lord's own example, and commanded at the Lord's Supper. In other words, in order to consolidate their power, the clergy hijacked the Eucharist and dispensed with the agape feast, since the latter was a hindrance to their ability to control the life of the Church. The life of the Church was then redefined, and its most important communal expressions were transformed into rituals performed by the priesthood, sacerdotalism. The ability of the Christian community, the Christian society or nation, 1 Peter 2.9, Exodus 19.5-6, to achieve the potential of its life as the true social order, although by no means completely suppressed, was nevertheless curtailed and restricted as an inevitable consequence. The development of this sacramental theology and practice, to put the matter in its true light, was the tool used to bring about the centralised bureaucratic control of the church by clergymen. This problem can be observed in an incipient form in the efforts of the Apostle Peter to establish control of the church by means of ecclesiastical lawmaking prior to Pentecost, Acts 2, 12-26, an attempt to take the kingdom by force, Matthew eleven twelve, that was brought to nothing by the subsequent calling of the Apostle Paul and the latter's direct attack on the principle underpinning Peter's agenda, namely, knowledge of Christ according to the flesh, 2 Corinthians 5.16. Of course, ritual per se is not sin, nor contrary to God's word, and in some measure is unavoidable in life. But the development of a sacramental theology, inevitably tied to an expanding ritual and the preservation and prioritizing of the latter by an exclusive clerical order and its elevation to the most important aspects of the church's life and activity, has blighted the mission of the church throughout history. Already in the sub-apostolic era, we see this development at work. It is not lawful, apart from the bishop, either to baptise or to hold a love feast, says Ignatius of Antioch. Why not? Whose law is this? Not Christ's. Such a restriction is not found in Scripture. These are the laws of the bishops and clergymen who benefit from them at the expense of the laity and to the detriment of the mission of the Church and the Kingdom of God. We take from the hand of none but the presidents the sacrament of the Eucharist, which the Lord both commanded to be eaten at mealtimes and enjoined to be taken by all alike, says Tertullian. Why can the bread and wine be received only from the president? Christ did not command this. Neither does the subsequent teaching of the apostles. Who gave these bishops and clergymen this right to restrict the life of the church in such a way? Not the Lord Jesus Christ or his apostles. Charity has fallen from heaven into the soups says Clement of Alexandria. Such contempt for the institution established by the Lord himself and the preference for rituals devised by men in its place is entirely worthy of the Phariseeism that Christ rebuked so severely. Sacraments which are nowhere to be found in Scripture were the invention of clerics as a tool for consolidating their own power and control over the Church and an abuse of the legitimate authority given to those who are elected to positions of oversight in the Church. As the theology and practice of sacramentalism grew, the Church was increasingly redefined as a clerical order, sacerdotalism. As a consequence, the Christian faith and the Christian social order became over the centuries reduced to almost the function of the clergy, that is, the institutional Church, with dire consequences for the mission of the Church as a social order. As power was concentrated into the hands of clerics, prelacy, the Kingdom of God became a target for those seeking power, as the Lord himself had forewarned. Matthew 11.12 And the church was corrupted not only from within, but also by invasion from without. 
If the church, as the true society, that is, a social order that is commissioned by the Lord Jesus Christ to transform the whole world by discipling the nations, is to fulfill the task entrusted to her by the Lord in the Great Commission, Christians must reclaim their citizenship of the kingdom of God from those who have sought to dispossess them of it for so long. Centralized bureaucratic control of the church by clergymen has vitiated the life of the church as a social order and thereby wrecked the mission of the church. The life of the church as the true society, the true social order, must be restored if the Great Commission is to be accomplished.